let me ask you a question. Can you live a good life without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Think about this. Can you live a good life without God's presence in your life? Can you have a good marriage without the presence of God in your home? Can you run a successful business and be successful in your work without the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? Can you raise good kids without God in your family? Now, I know for some of you are saying, well, it depends on how you define good. And that's true. It depends on how you find it good. Uh, in fact, I had the opportunity this week to get together with a couple of pastors, and we wrestled with this same exact question. We said, can you plant a church? Can you grow a church based on your own strength and your own ability without the presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, I know some of you are really spiritual, and you're sitting in your chair saying, oh, no, you can't. No way. And I'm going to say I disagree with you. I disagree with you. In fact, there are books upon books that teach us just how to do this. You can go to the library and you can pick up a book called Five Love Languages. And you can learn some secrets on how to cultivate a good relationship with your spouse and, and create a good relationship with your spouse just by reading some books and putting some principles together. You can go and pick up a book called Dare to Discipline or Shepherding a, Child, Shepherding a Child's Heart. These are great books, by the way. And they can give you some insights on how do you raise kids that end up hopefully being good kids at the end of it. You can do that. In fact, uh, I can show you some books that say, hey, if you're going to plant a church, if you're going to, to grow a church, here's what you need to do. You need to have a leader who is charismatic and handsome, and funny. Not that I know anybody like that, but if you have a leader with a charismatic personality, if you have a leader who is an, an engaging communicator, if you have a leader who understands leadership and can build systems to get, to get people involved in the church, you put that leader, you couple them with some good musicians, a fun environment, and you can grow a church. Absolutely. We see that in our day and age. People might even get saved going to a church like that. But there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between us trying to live this life in our own strength, in our own wisdom, versus living this life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because we can try and live a good life, but we will never be all that we are called to be. We will never be all that God has made us to be when we try to do it in our own strength. We will be lacking. If you look at the comparison between what I can accomplish on my own and what I can accomplish through God, man, it's a huge difference. Huge difference. In fact, um, kind of like the difference between, like you could get a cup of, of decaf coffee but, like, what's the purpose, right? It lacks substance. It lacks purpose. It's like, here, have a cup of warm something. You need the caffeine to make it effective, to make it powerful, right? In fact, this week I went to, uh, Friday night, we went to a high school football game. Watched the West Valley Rams play against the Eastmont, whatever Eastmont is. We watched them play football together. And it was great. It was a good game. It went to double overtime. We had fun watching that. But the difference between a high school football game and the NFL 
Man, that really becomes kind of like what it looks like for us to try and live life on our own. And we can create a good game, but it's not like what you see in the NFL. It's lacking so much of what it could be. And this is why I love the picture of the uh, disciples in the New Testament. These were guys who spent three years walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and learning from Jesus. They were around Jesus all the time. And when we find them in the Gospels, they're kind of just big nerds, right? Like they just can't get anything right. And Jesus constantly says to them, why do you have such little faith? Because they're doing it in their own strength, their own power. And then what happens is after Jesus ascends up into heaven, he, he sends the Holy Spirit and these disciples become empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what did they do then? They became world changers. They started the church that has spread for centuries, and we are here today worshiping with, along with thousands of churches because those disciples were filled with the Spirit, and they went out in the Spirit's power and not on their own. Today, uh, we read a passage out of Philippians chapter 2, and let me just say this. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. We've got some ushers in the back. We'd love to be able to put a Bible in your hand. We are Bible people here. Uh, I'm really not that interesting, so we just open up the Bible and allow God to speak to us. Uh, we've been trying to be in a series for a couple of weeks. We haven't been trying. We are in a series the last couple of weeks where we're trying to understand the Holy Spirit. We're trying to get a great grasp of, of who this Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and what impact the Holy Spirit has on the life of us as Christians and the life of our church. We want to have this practical understanding of how the Holy Spirit uh, shapes our faith and impacts our lives. And we started with this foundation of who the Holy Spirit is. We said the Holy Spirit is God himself who has taken up residence in our lives forever. That is who the Holy Spirit is. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit present in our lives. We looked a couple weeks ago at what the Holy Spirit does. We said the Holy Spirit, based on John chapter 14, 15, and 16, that the Holy Spirit helps us, convicts us of sin, guides us to truth, teaches us scripture. We see he does all these things in our lives. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit gives us power to live as ambassadors. Gives us power where we can be Christians and live in the world, but not of the world. And we can make a difference in the world around us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to help us see how much of a need we have for the Holy Spirit. I want to do that by looking at Jesus and his dependence on the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to make a bold statement right here. And this might, make, might be a little uncomfortable for some of you. But Jesus was a charismatic. I know some of you are like, hey, that's really uncomfortable, like, like a charismatic. The, the problem is that term charismatic has been hijacked to mean something completely different than what it originally created, originally was meant to be. Like we've taken the word charismatic and we've made it a portion of Christians who typically have highly emotional worship, who, who typically raise their hands, and oftentimes those charismatics have some of that crazy stuff, you know, where they do like the, the tongues and the prophecy and the word Benny Hinn stuff and, and poofy hair. And, and we've kind of said this is what a charismatic is. I apologize if that offended anybody. But the word charismatic 
actually comes from a Greek word, uh, charismata, which it means to be a gift of the grace, a gift of grace. So a charismatic person is somebody who, who operates and lives under the gifts of a grace. And so, yes, we can have disagreements as to what that exactly looks like, but for us to question whether or not we should be a charismatic person should never be questioned. As Christians, we should all live and operate through the power of the gifts of grace. And I want you to hear today, when I say I want you to to understand what it means for us to be as charismatic, I'm not saying I want you to become one of those weird people, but I want you to discover the power that is available to you in the Holy Spirit. So I told you I'm going to make this bold statement that Jesus was a charismatic. Jesus depended on the gifts of grace, on the gifts of the Spirit. I'm asking you just to follow me through this. Because we're going to look at a number of scriptures and try and understand that when we think about the life of Jesus, when you think about his teaching, we think about Jesus resisting sin, we think about uh, Jesus and the miracles he did, oftentimes you think, well, of course he did those things because he's God, right? Like, Jesus is God. Like, we understand that. Of course he did those things. Uh, But this is why I asked you to look at Philippians chapter 2. This passage in Philippians chapter 2 is one of my favorite verses throughout the entire Bible. It's actually probably my my life verse. I love Philippians 2 verse verse 3 that says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I love this idea that, that, that we're not supposed to make life about me. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. That we live our life as a way that it's not about me, it's about other people. And then he says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, we have this tendency to love ourselves. We have the tendency to to look out for number one, which is me. It's always me. I always look out uh, number one. But again, if we understand Jesus said, uh, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. And then he said the second commandment is like that, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is what God says. This is the greatest commandment, that we love God and we love other people. And Philippians gives us this this ability to do that, that if we're going to to fulfill what God has called us to do, that we humbly consider others more significant than ourselves. Man, this has been like revolutionary for me to understand, man, how do I live as a Christian? I live by doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but consider other people more significant than myself, where I don't look out for number one, I look out for the people around me. But after, after Paul writes this, this is what, He continues to say, verse 5, he says, I want you to have this mind among you that was yours in in, in Christ Jesus, who he was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And found in human form, he humbled himself uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, here we understand that Jesus is God. He he doesn't deny that. I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh. But what Paul just said is that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of his access to his God nature. He emptied himself of his access to his Godness. That he never ceased to be God, but he restricted that access to those rights. 
trying to picture, well, well how, do you, how do you understand this? And I, and I pictured it like this. Elon Musk, who's the guy who started Tesla, who does SpaceX. I, I love the idea of space. I love anything that we can read about the stars and the worlds and the galaxies. And, and, and Elon Musk created SpaceX. That's goal is to build ships that would take regular people like you and I, if we have a lot of money, who would take regular people like you and I up into outer space. Like, I think that sounds amazing, right? How many of you would love to sign up for that ride? I, 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 I would. It'd be awesome, right? Now, imagine, imagine that SpaceX is ready to go. They've got their spaceships built. If Elon Musk were to walk into uh, the queue or the line to get ready to go, you would imagine, like, they'd be like, all right, Elon Musk, come right in. You can cut past the line. You can come and get the front seat. You don't have to pay, right? Because of his, who he is. Because of who he is. He's the owner. He's the founder. He's the guy that owns it all. So he can just come right ahead and say, I'm going to go in front of everybody else. And I'm just going to jump in. I'm not going to have to pay. But what Jesus did when he, when he emptied himself of his, his godness is you can imagine Elon Musk saying, you know what? Instead, I'm going to join the waiting list. I'm going to wait my turn. I'm going to wait in line. And then when it comes time, I'm going to pay my $500,000 or however much money it's going to require. And that would be kind of like uh, Jesus saying, hey, I could come in and demand all this and just do all this because I'm God. But he chose to set that godness aside to live as a human. And this is a picture that Jesus, he, he wouldn't be sitting in a high school class, you think about in a high school science class, and the teacher's like, hey, I mean, Jesus isn't the kid that always has his hand raised because he's omniscient. I mean, he's not accessing that. Jesus isn't in middle school having seamless little middle school boy thoughts because I don't know if that's even possible anyways. But, but Jesus was a, a regular person just like every one of us. This is, why, uh, J- uh, this is why Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Because he had limited his access to God. He limited that God nature. This is why in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, uh, I don't know the day and hour of my return. Only God the Father knows that. Because he is still God, but he's not operating as God. He limited himself. So here's the, the, here's the million-dollar question, right? If this is true, if, if Jesus emptied himself of his godness, if he, if he lived this life as a, as a human like you and I, like, how does he do the things he does? Like, how does Jesus overcome sin? How, how does Jesus resist the devil? How does he do miracles? How does he have the ability to speak with such power and truth? How, how, does, how does Jesus have the ability to see right into people? How does he always know what to say and always know what to pray? Simply put, Jesus lived and operated through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's amazing? Is that same power is available to you and I. That we have that same access. Thinking about this, at church we often talk about, you know, the, the, the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. It's kind of where we center ourselves on, Right? I mean, the birth of Jesus, Christmas season is my favorite season. Like, I saw that Costco put the Christmas tree up last month, and I asked my wife, can we put ours up now? Because I love the Christmas season. I hope you do too. I love celebrating the birth of Christ. Uh, I hope that you, as you begin thinking right now about what your holiday celebrations look like, I hope that you allow the church to be a part of that. I hope that when you think about Christmas Eve, I hope that when you 
have that fancy dinner or whatever you're going to do. I hope that you say, hey, let's go to church first. Let's come to church. Let's celebrate the reason for the season and then go do whatever else you're going to do. I hope you would plan on doing that. So we love talking about the birth of Jesus. And we also at the church, we also talk a lot about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we get to Easter. And Easter is kind of like the, the Super Bowl of Christianity. Like it's a big deal, right? And, 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 and we never grow tired of talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus because that is the gospel message. That is how we are made right with God. That is how we grow is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. But his life has so much for us to learn from as well. His life, there's so much for us to learn from on how to live and what it looks like for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to go through a number of scriptures. And I tell you, uh, what I did this week is I just read through the Gospel of Luke. And time and time and time again, I see this. Jesus depended on the Spirit. Jesus filled with Spirit did this. And I want you to follow this with me because you're going to see just how prevalent the Holy Spirit was in the life of Jesus. So, so just, just watch, follow me with this, okay? You see the Holy Spirit present in the very beginning of the birth of Jesus. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, where the Holy Spirit overshadows the Virgin Mary. And that Jesus is brought into the world because of what the Holy Spirit did. And at the very beginning of Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit is involved in his birth. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Luke chapter 3, 22. As Jesus was getting ready to begin his public ministry, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And it says that as Jesus was praying, that the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And you hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that point forward, Jesus, something has changed. Jesus, you're going to find him constantly saying he's being led. He's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see this, uh, Luke chapter 4 verse 1. It says that, that Jesus, full of the Spirit... He's full of the Spirit. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. Remember the temptation story? If you're not familiar with church, Jesus spends 40 days out in the wilderness. And he, he, he's fasting. He's not eating for 40 days. And Satan comes and says, listen, listen, Jesus, if God is, if you really are the Son of God, and Jesus, why don't you take this rock and turn it into a loaf of bread? Why don't you feed yourself? You've been fasting for 40 days. And he, he's tempting Jesus. And Jesus, filled with the Spirit, remember what the Spirit does? He reminds us of truth. Jesus responds with God's word and says, man should not live by bread alone, but in every word proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Again, the second temptation where, where Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He's appealing to, to, to our pride and says, listen, listen, Jesus, I will let you be king over all of the kingdoms. If you bow down and worship me. And again, how does Jesus respond? Filled with the Spirit, he responds with God's word and says, uh, uh, man should only worship and serve God alone. Third temptation. Third time Jesus, or Satan takes Jesus up to the very top of the pinnacle of the temple and says, listen, if God really loves you, why don't you jump off and see if God will rescue you? And again, here's Jesus Filled with the Spirit, he responds and says, Do not test the Lord your God. 
And you see this, that Jesus, filled with the Spirit, into this temptation, he is able to, to resist temptation, remain faithful to God because he's filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. After the temptation, it says that Jesus returns to Galilee in power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to preach his first message in the power of the Holy Spirit because he is going to begin this ministry. He's going to go on through the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 5, again, just follow along quick. These are fun. In Luke chapter 5, uh, some friends bring, G- bring to Jesus a man who's been paralyzed. And it says in Luke 5 verse 17 that the Lord's power to heal was with Jesus. The Lord's power representing the power of the Holy Spirit. It is with Jesus to heal and to do these things. Luke chapter 11 verse 20. It says that Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles and cast out demons to establish the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 10, it says that Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. That because of the Holy Spirit, he's able to rejoice. Again, this is one of the things I want us to understand. Joy is a characteristic of those of us who are filled with the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit makes us all a type A personality and we're all that perky, you know, uh, uh, high school girl. <laughs> That's not what that happens. Uh, but one of the fruits of the Spirit is that we can have joy in our life regardless of our circumstances. That we can rejoice in the Holy Spirit when we have the Spirit's presence in our life. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 The Spirit actually enabled Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. That the Holy Spirit enables Jesus to do what he did for us on the cross. Romans chapter 1. That the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the grave, defeating Satan, death, and hell once and for all. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus walks out of the grave. Do you get the point? Again and again and again, Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, it's, it's, it's all throughout the, the gospel message. In fact, it's summed up by the Apostle Peter in, in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter says that God anointed Jesus with power of the Holy Spirit. And in that power, he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. And I'll be honest, as I started reading through this, I think I kind of missed this before. I think I kind of assumed, well, of course Jesus, of course Jesus did all these things because he's God. He's God, so of course he can heal. Of course he can teach. Of course he can do all these things because he is God. And at times he did that. But again, we just saw again and again and again That scripture goes through great length to show how Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, that he moved and did miracles and resisted the devil and overcame sin and the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason I point this out, because many of us, man, we're pretty smart people, aren't we not? We're pretty engaging. We have good personalities. We're, We're intelligent, right? And sometimes we think, you know what, I'm... I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm charming enough. I I do pretty good on my own. So why do I need the power of the Holy Spirit? Because I can kind of do things good good enough on my own. Or sometimes we think, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, that's for those charismatics, you know. 
That's for those other types of Christians that aren't me. Me, I just memorize scripture and I sing hymns and I go to small groups, right? That's my kind of Christianity. But to overlook Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit is to kind of cut out a huge portion of scripture. To kind of ignore what scripture teaches. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by my might, nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That that's where the success comes from. That's where life is found. Not in my might, not in my power, but in the spirit. Here's the point I want to ask you this morning. Here's the the point of the message. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more should we? Like if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit in his life, how much more should we need the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this. Who do you depend on for success? Who do you depend on for victory? How, who, who do you depend on when you're going to overcome sin? Who do you depend on when how you're going to figure out how to respect and honor your parents when it's hard? Who do you depend on when you've got a difficult relationship and you've got to navigate it and try and repair the broken relationship? Who do you depend on when you're trying to figure out, hey, this is what my future holds? Who are you depending on to, to guide the future? When you've got a loss in your life, and you feel the, the, the hole inside of you, who do you depend on to help you mourn and to grieve and to repair the, 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 the broken things inside of you? See, this is where I want us to understand the impact of the Holy Spirit. That as we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit, man, the Holy Spirit, you see what it does? You see how it took a bunch of Jesus' disciples and turn them into world changers. Again, I just keep thinking about this idea about these disciples and how they can't get anything right. And then they're empowered with the Holy Spirit and they start the church and we are in a church today worshiping Jesus because they were empowered by the Spirit. Because they depended on the Spirit's power to start churches and to spread the gospel. And we're here today because they were empowered by the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, I told you this week I got to hang out with a couple of guys. And we had the chance to kind of tell like our, our faith story. We had the chance to tell our faith story. And it's, it's amazing to think about the difference the Holy Spirit makes in a person's life. There was one of these guys, uh, incredibly successful businessman. Actually, what he did for a living is he sold slot machines. Apparently, there's a lot of money in slot machines. If you didn't know, if you're looking for a job, I can hook you up. Uh, I can't hook you up. I can make a phone call for you. This was a guy who was incredibly successful, traveled the world, had the chance to go on all these experiences. He had all the toys, all the vacations, all the money you could ask for. And he said, you know, it just doesn't satisfy It leaves me longing for more. It just doesn't satisfy what's deep inside of me. There's something more. That moment God revealed himself to this man. And this man surrendered to God. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man uses his business background to invest in the kingdom of God. To help the church figure out how do we improve and how do we take that message to see more lives changed. 
That he had all these things, and through his own strength, he could build himself a nice little castle. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would use him to build a kingdom. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's, a, there's another dude. This was a guy who was addicted to, to pot before pot was cool. I mean, we live in Washington State. I'll just say that, right? This was a guy who, who lived and breathed drugs. And said, this is, uh, he said, this is my life. I, I dealt, I used, I'd wake up, and that was the first thing I would do. This is, was my life. And he said, after each time, though, I'd use, there always came a crash. And I always wanted more. I always wanted more. Until that moment, God revealed himself to him. And he surrendered his life to God. And all of a sudden, he said, I had this new peace this peace that passed all understanding, this peace that was with me where there wasn't no crash. There wasn't me getting, feeling good and then crashing back down. He said, I had this peace from God that overwhelmed me. Again, not because of anything he's done, but because the power of the Holy Spirit and his life, the peace that passes all understanding. Think about my own life, my own story. Man, I had... I put so much pressure on myself to succeed as a student, to succeed as an employee, to succeed as a friend, because I needed people's approval. And my life, through some circumstances in my childhood, meant I longed for approval. I longed for people to say, hey, you're good enough. Hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, you're awesome. I want to be like you. You're so cool, Kevin. I longed for that. I lived for that. And when I didn't get that approval... Man, I can't tell you how much that eat me, ate me up. How that left me angry and bitter and depressed and lonely. And I looked at all these things and I wanted to be successful so that I would have the approval of people. And guess what? I found the unconditional love of God. A, a love that I don't have to earn. A, a, a love that I don't have to fear losing it. A, a love that I can just rest in. That, that God would love me regardless of how good I am or how bad I am. The unconditional love of Christ. And it frees me. It frees me to truly love people. Because I don't need anything from them. I'm not longing for their approval anymore. Now I can just love people because that's what God has asked me to do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that has changed me, changed the way I live, changed the way I operate. In fact, I thought about this, the picture of the Holy Spirit, between us living on our strength and living on the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, we had the chance to take the kids to Disneyland. We're taking the kids to Disneyland, and we're on Main Street. If you've been there, it's Main Street. It's kind of this cool little area. And oftentimes, they'll bring little parades that go flying by. You know, the parades come in, and there's all the characters and, and the floats and everything else. And I remember we're, we're sitting there, we're trying to watch, watch the parade happen. And there's all these people that have crowded in. And so, so there's a line of people here, and we're in the back, and, and my kids are like trying to look through, trying to find the little crack to be able to see what's happening, to see all the characters and see the floats. And they're hopping up and down and, and just trying to see what's happening over here. Okay? Now you, they probably saw some of what the prey, they probably saw some of that. Oh yeah, the, I think there was a character. I think that's Mickey. I, I can't tell. I think it's Mickey. Trying to look through there. The difference is, then I pick the kids up and I put them on my shoulder. They have a whole different perspective. 
Now they're seeing things on a different level. Now they're able to see, and there's a different perspective that comes from them uh, being able to see a view they couldn't have imagined. Listen, I think that's what God wants for you. I think that's what God wants for us, for our church. That not in our own strength to try to jump up and down and try to get this good thing. But if we would just rest in God and allow His Holy Spirit to empower us, that He would lift us up on His shoulders so we could see the entire thing without having to jump and, 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 and do all those other things that we do. Right? That if we would surrender to God and if we would uh, depend on the Spirit, that we could see God do incredible things in our lives and through us to the people around us. If we would just surrender ourselves to Him and depend on His Spirit. Began thinking through this and I think about if, if Jesus is our example, if He depended on the Holy Spirit, why, why do we have such a hard time experiencing the Spirit's power in our lives. Like if the Spirit has all this potential for us, why do we struggle with it? Why do we struggle and not live and not experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Two things, then we'll wrap up. First one, I think most of us, we are depending on the wrong power source. Most of us are completely depending on the wrong power source because we feel like we're good enough. We feel like I'm capable We feel like I'm smart enough. I can figure this out on my own. Again, this is where I ask you, where does your power to overcome sin come from? Where does your power to resist the Satan and temptation come from? Where does your power come to free you from bad habits that you know are not good for you? How do you have the ability to forgive people who have wronged you? And whose power? And what power do you have to see the broken things around you fixed, redeemed, and brought back to life? Jesus did all those things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if he needed the Holy Spirit, how much more would we? Honestly, there's a story in 1 Kings that tells us exactly what we do. In 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, there's a showdown. You've got the, the prophets of Baal over here. These are the prophets of the false gods. And you've got, you've got Elijah, the prophet of God, over here. And the showdown is they're saying, hey, we'll see which God is real. By, by we'll have whoever's God will, will, will allow this altar to be consumed in fire from heaven. Whoever can call down fire from heaven, then we'll know that is the real God. Remember that story, 1 Kings 18. The prophets of Baal, this is what we so often do. We yell louder. We work harder. We try and do all that we can do. We dance. We jump up and down. We scream. We shout. We, in our strength, try and accomplish whatever we can. And nothing happens. And you know what's so much greater? Is on the other side, you've got Elijah. And Elijah prays and asks God to show up. He asks God, God, would you show up? God, would you do this? Would you reveal yourself to these people? You know what happens? Is this scripture says that, that, that the, the, Lord brings, uh, the, the Lord's fire falls down from heaven and consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice, and there's this clear, yes, this is God. This is what God does. And the best part of that story 
The best part of that story. And here's how you know that God did this, not Elijah. Because verse 39 is that when God brings this fire down from heaven, it consumes his altar. That all the people that are watching, all the people are watching, they fall down on their face and exclaim, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They're not saying, oh, Elijah, you're a great prayer. Oh, Elijah, you're so smart. You're so powerful. Elijah, you're such a great guy. No, the attention is all on God. Because it wasn't in his strength. It was in God's strength. And the people could look and see, hey, God used Elijah, but it was God who accomplished the work. It was the power of God that did this. And if we understand that that same power is available to us, that same power is available to you as a student, as a parent, as an employee, as a business owner, as a pastor, the same power of God is available to us, that God could do more than we could ever imagine if we stopped being like the prophets of Baal and trying so hard to make things happen and we just trusted in him and surrendered to him and sought his presence. I think the first reason why we don't experience the power of God in our lives is because we depend on the wrong source. Second reason I think we don't experience the power of God in our lives is because I don't think we're engaged in the mission of the Spirit. We're not engaged in the mission of God. The Holy Spirit is not just some genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way, you get whatever you want. You'll become some great person. The Holy Spirit is not a magic crystal that gives you good luck. It's not a, a horoscope. The Spirit came upon Jesus for a purpose, for a reason, for a mission. You see, some of us that, that, that lean towards that spiritual side and the Holy Spirit side, we love to look at Acts chapter 2. Oh, look, the, the disciples, they're empowered with the Spirit. And we fail to remember that Acts chapter 2 follows Acts chapter 1. That in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you will receive power and you will become my witnesses to proclaim my gospel message to the ends of the earth. That the power and the mission are related together. Think, think about it like this. If Jesus came to this earth and was a basketball player, a good one. Uh, he's Jesus. He's got to be good, right? If Jesus was like, like showed LeBron up, was better than Michael. I mean, if Jesus was just this amazing basketball player, dominated the courts, okay? There's Jesus. Now, if I claim to be filled with, the, filled with his spirit, would you, wouldn't you expect me to play basketball a little bit better than I do? If Jesus came as a basketball player and I claimed him filled with his spirit, don't you think I'd be raining threes all the time? And I'd be able to dribble the ball without kicking off my foot and watching it roll over there? I mean, if, if Jesus came as a basketball player and I'm filled with the spirit, then I should begin to look a little bit more like him. Did Jesus come as a basketball player? Did Jesus come as a wealthy businessman? Did Jesus come as someone who was always healthy and wealthy and lived on easy street? No, Jesus came to pour out his life for others. 
so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with God. You know what I don't see the Spirit do in the Gospels? I don't see the Spirit keeping the church from difficulty. I don't see the church making our life so easy. Where we pull into Target, hey, look, there's a parking spot. The favor of God is on me. That's not what I see in Scripture. In fact, in the book of Acts, I see God parking Paul in prison. I see God putting Jesus on a cross. I don't see the Holy Spirit making a lot of people wealthy. I believe the Spirit can do that. But I see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Scripture says the Spirit increases our ability to make money so we can increase our capacity to give. Here's my question for you. Do you even want his power? Do you want his power so you can serve the kingdom? Or do you want his power so you can serve yourself? Do you want his power to, to love people as yourself or to love yourself? See, I don't think there's a disconnect between the mission of God and the power of God. I think the disconnect is between the people of God and the mission of God. I don't think at all there's a disconnect between the mission that God wants to accomplish and his power. I think the disconnect is between us and whether or not we are going to join his mission and be on mission with him. It's what I want for us as a church, that we would learn to live and operate through the power of the Holy Spirit. That way we'd seek his presence in our lives. One of the things I do understand if we want to have his power, we need a relationship with him. We need a relationship with God. We need to surrender our lives to him.